Well, good morning, folks. It's wonderful to be with you here at uh, Hamilton Baptist Church. A privilege to continue to serve you as your interim moderator. And uh, we're continuing. In actual fact, today we're concluding our series on our journey with Joshua. And it's been great uh, over this uh, past number of weeks to be looking at the book of Joshua, to be looking at so much of the character of Joshua, and really in a sense to have our eyes lifted way beyond uh, the main characters, but to be looking at God himself. Now, if you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to get that, to open that, and to turn with me to the very last chapter of the book to Joshua chapter 24. I'm going to read uh, all of that chapter as we bring our study to a close, and then going to begin to, uh, I'll pray, and then we'll open up that chapter together this morning. Joshua chapter 24, and we're going to read from verse 1, and it says there, the covenant renewal at Shechem. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward. I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, they put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived in the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity 
and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way that we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land, Therefore we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. And then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. And after these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath-Serah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem, in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phinehas, his son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. This is the word of the Lord. Our gracious Father, we come before you this day, and we ask that as we draw this series in the life and teaching in the book of Joshua to a close, that you would speak into all of our hearts and all of our lives, and we, your people, would be listening for your voice, and we would be responsive to all that you would say in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. Well, it's a full passage there in Joshua chapter 24 as we bring this series to a close. And last Sunday, Jonathan Davy, one of your own elders, Jonathan was preaching in Joshua chapter 23. And there's a little bit of a debate that goes on about whether Joshua chapter 23 and Joshua chapter 24 are actually the same gathering of the people. In all probability, they are. But in Joshua chapter 23, Jonathan last Sunday was saying to us that there we learned of the God who protects. There we learned of the God who is faithful there we uh, were encouraged and exhorted about what it is to be grounded and to be focused on Him. There we were able to rejoice in the God who is powerful. And we were encouraged to love our God, love the God that loves you. And of course, Jonathan was right to conclude in saying that all the promises of God are good and true. And as we come to the end of this study in the book of Joshua, we discover that every promise of the Word of God to His people comes to pass, and every promise that God makes in His Word always comes to pass. And so this morning, I want to break this long chapter down into four areas and I'm going to uh, give a little bit of teaching around each of those areas, but I'm going to encourage you at a later stage to look into that and to apply more of that to your own life. And the first part is the significance of Shechem. And when we look at the opening two verses of Joshua chapter 24, 1 and 2, we find that Joshua gathers all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. And there in that place, he summons the elders, he summons the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they present themselves. Notice what it says. They present themselves before God. You know, Shechem, a little shoulder of land between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. In actual fact, Shechem itself means shoulder. And they presented themselves there. It was a very significant place in the life of the nation of Israel. It was a place of promise. It was a place of worship. It was a place of commitment. It was a place where uh, Jacob formerly uh, had laid down his idols and surrendered all to God. It was also a place where uh, horrific sin had broken out uh, as well in the issue uh, around Dinah. But Shechem was a place that was known to the people of Israel. And the, the first time we encounter Shechem is in Genesis chapter 12, verse 6 and verse 7 in the life of Abraham. And that's so important as we think about what it is to be the covenant people of God. For we all sing and we all declare that by faith we are the children of Abraham. 
And in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 6 and 7, we read these words, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Mori. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, my friends, I'm sure you're already uh, running ahead in your heart and uh, in your mind to all that this means. There was Abraham, called of God, given the promises of God, that this land in which he found himself, land that did not belong to the nation of Israel at that time, but the promise of the covenant God was given, I will give you this land. And so the promise is given there at Shechem. And so you fast forward, and we've been in the book of Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 8, we found ourselves once more at Shechem when the people uh, renew or, or entered afresh into that covenant commitment with God. And now here, at the end of the book of Joshua, we find ourselves again in that significant place, uh, the place of Shechem. And once again, it would be a place of worship. It would be a place of renewing commitment to the Lord our God. You know, I, I don't know uh, for yourself uh, where uh, some of the, the, the sacred places, some of the sacred spaces have been in your life, but those places where you go to encounter God, those places where you go to worship God, those places where you go uh, to revisit uh, and renew the promises of God and your commitment to all the plan and purposes of God for your life. But there, Joshua gathered all the tribes, all the heads, all the judges, all the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves there before God. And look what Joshua says to them there. He says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. In actual fact, they served gods that were no gods at all, and they would have remained an idolatrous, pagan-worshipping people if God had not entered into their life and utterly transformed them. And my friend, it's the same for you and for me, that uh, the journey of faith, we've been in the journey with Joshua, and the journey of faith, the faith that you and I have in our Lord Jesus Christ, is always an act of God towards us. It has always been this way. God moves towards the people. The covenant that we have is a covenant that is always founded on the sovereign grace of a sovereign God. Uh, and that's what we discover as we come to the end of Joshua chapter 24. So they're in this very significant place 
And there, Joshua begins just to lift their eyes that they might see, that they might look upon the sovereign God, the one who is gracious, the one who delivers them, the one who is their saviour. He lifts up their eyes. And if you uh, later on look at verses 2 through to verse 13, there you will see Joshua reminding them in so many ways of a sovereign God working in sovereign grace, working in bringing about a sovereign salvation for those who would put their trust in him. You know, as you read through verses 3, uh, th verse 2, the end of verse 2 through to verse 13, you'll find that time and time again, they're reminded of the voice of the Lord and of all the actions of God. You know, Joshua says, you know, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Abraham, they served other gods, but then I... God took Father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. It was God who gave him Isaac. It was God who gave Jacob. It was God who gave Moses and Aaron. It was God who delivered the people out of the bondage of Egypt. It was God who was the one who was with them in the wilderness. It was God who fought for them in the conquest of the lands. In everything, our eyes have this upward gaze as we realize what an awesome God we serve. What an awesome God we worship. What an awesome God is ours. And I want you, uh, as you look at those verses just to trace a similar list to the one that Jonathan was building on last week. Uh, there we see the grace of God in salvation. There we see the plan of God for his people. They were moving according to the plan and purpose of God. They were moving according to the pace that God had for them. Everything they were doing, everything about their delivery was according to the plan and purpose of God. Every kindness that they received, every blessing that they experienced was according to the providence of God. It was God in his providential care of them who was meeting them at the point of every need they had. And time and again there, in verse 2 through verse 13, you see the power of God. It wasn't by your sword or bow uh, that you've you know, taken the land, that you've overcome uh, the hornet kings of the land. It was I who gave you the land. And so what you see is the power of God. And, and when as a people they were in grave danger, and when as a people uh, they could easily have been routed, it was the Lord who protected his children. It was the Lord 
who protected his people. And even right at the end there, at verse 13, he says, you eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant, but I am the one who has provided them for you. You see, every time we, we turn as believers to the Word of God, our hearts and our lives should be strengthened by the vision of God that they give us. You know, my friend, time and again in life, we can look at the circumstances, we can look at the need, and all of these things will overwhelm us. But when we get a vision of God, when we understand his sovereign reign, when we understand his sovereign rule, when we understand that all things are possible for God, and it's all about the, the relationship that we have with him and the dependency which is ours upon him, then we can say, Nothing, nothing can harm us. Nothing can separate us from the sovereign God who delivers for us his salvation. You know, my friend, it's, it's still the case today for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. You know, the grace of God is the sovereign act of a sovereign God in sovereign grace towards us. It's God's kindness towards us in Christ. It is he who delivers us, and he delivers us according to his plan. And he speaks of his plan in his word, and he makes promises to his people, and all the promises of God are yes and amen. They come to pass, and so the people uh, who'd been following Joshua, the people uh, who'd been entering into all the inheritance that God had for them, were realizing, they were being, uh, it was being recalled to their mind as they gathered there in that significant place that all of this is part of the plan of God and the providence of God and the power of God, and by the protection of God, and it is by the provision of God. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that absolutely wonderful, amazing grace, that God should save a wretch like me, and in saving me, his plan that I might glorify him in my life can be a reality. And his providence and his power and his protection and his provision are sure things for the people of God. And, you know, it's in the light of all of that that Joshua then moves on to call the people of God to a renewal of the covenant, to a renewed commitment. Covenant treaties uh, were a familiar feature uh, in that uh, ancient uh, Near Eastern world. But the remarkable thing about this covenant 
It was the covenant of the sovereign God with his people. And Joshua says, you know, let us renew our commitment. And from verses 14 uh, through to verse 28 of that chapter that we read, there we find a, a renewed call to commitment, a, a renewed call to commit who we are to the living God. Look what Joshua says. He says, now, therefore, you know, those of you who have studied for the scriptures for a little while will know the old maxim that whenever we read the word of God and we get that little phrase, therefore, we have to ask, what is it there for? And so Joshua says, now, therefore, in light of all that I have said about the grace of God, and the plan and providence and power and protection and provision of God. In light of who he is, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. So what he's doing is having painted the picture of the awesome God of the people of Israel, our God today, my friends, he says, therefore, in the light of that, fear God. That's that call to reverence God, to worship God, to acknowledge that he and he alone is God, king of all kings, and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. In other words, be authentic in your godly living for you and I in Christ Jesus our Lord. Be authentic followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. No compartmentalizing our life into in this area I'm Christian, but in this area I'm not. No, the whole of life for the believer is sacred. And every part of our life should be characterized by the sincerity and faithfulness of those who love God and honor God and are obedient to every promise that God has made, are obedient to every word that God has spoken, and are seeking to magnify him in every area of our life. And so Joshua says, put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And he, he makes that great statement that many of us have heard so many times. Choose this day whom you will serve. And I don't know if you've ever looked closely at the choice he presents them with. He says, choose this day whom you will serve. The gods your father served in the region beyond the river are the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so in actual fact, Joshua turns around and he says to them, you know, you can go back 
to worshiping the gods that Abraham worshipped before God called him and everything changed. Or you can start to worship the gods of the age in which you find yourself uh, and the, the land of Canaan into which you've entered. He actually gives them a choice between two non-gods. But he knows the people. He knows that time and time again they had proven themselves not to be faithful but to be faithless. In actual fact, when you read on uh, in your Bibles and Judges, you'll discover that uh, the people rebelled against God. They did not keep with the covenant they were making. And God had to give them up uh, to their own uh, methods and plans. And they had to look for a long time to God for the coming of the Savior, the one who would set us free our Lord Jesus Christ himself. But Joshua says, you can choose who you're going to serve, but I'll tell you who I and my household are going to serve. In the light of all that I have just told you about the sovereign and gracious God who delivers, my household are going to serve the Lord. And there's a very real sense in which what Joshua is saying is, doesn't that make sense? <laughs> doesn't it make sense to be fully committed to the Lord our God? Doesn't it make sense to be fully committed to his word and his ways? Doesn't it make sense to be in that living, loving relationship with the one whose plan and providence and power and protection and provision are for our good. Now again, my friends, that's not to say that always this will be a bed of roses. For an actual fact, for the people of God, uh, the way of the cross, because that's the call of God upon our life, is always marked with suffering. But God is with us. The presence of God is with his people. And Joshua knew that. And that's why in the call to commitment, he said to them, my friends, you know, this makes sense. And when you get to verses 16 through to verse 18, there he's inviting them to wholehearted commitment. The people respond, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt. It is he who has delivered us, effectively, they say. And it is the Lord who has driven out all these peoples from the land that we're in. Therefore, we will serve the Lord, for he is God. But read on in verse 19 and following. And what you find is that Joshua says to them, You're not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not always forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods and he'll turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. And my friend, in this little exchange, Joshua is trying to get the people to count the cost 
Our Lord Jesus Christ talked about this, didn't he, so many times. You know, don't start building without counting the cost. How many times did our Lord Jesus Christ say to us that you have to take up your cross and follow me? That the way of Jesus is a way of self-sacrifice and not of self-fulfillment. The incredible truth about the journey in Christ is that in sacrificing who we are, in giving up on our will, in giving up on our plans, in giving up on our dreams, and in surrendering all to Christ, we find what it is to be truly fulfilled. For God is no man's debtor, but it is not a road of self-fulfillment. Instead, it is a road of self-sacrifice. A few weeks back, I was uh, preaching in, in my own church at Calderwood, and I was uh, reminding uh, the people of something that A.W. Tozer had said about our hyphenated sins. We all know our hyphenated sins, don't we? Self-centeredness, self-consciousness, self-defensiveness, self-exaltation, self-indulgence, self-love, self-pity, self-pleasing, self-righteousness, self-seeking, self-sufficiency, self-trust, and self-will. You know, the road to holiness is not achieved in one great heroic act of commitment or in one great heroic act of martyrdom. Instead, the road to holiness is made up in all the small things that we do well over a prolonged period of time for the glory of God. When he was calling them to a commitment, a, a commitment that would have them as the people of God, honoring God, serving God in sincerity and in faithfulness, what he was doing was telling them that this is a road of self-sacrifice. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. What does it look like to not go for self-fulfillment, but to go instead for the self-sacrifice which honors and glorifies God? While the people were insistent, that they would put away the foreign gods. They were witnessing against themselves that they were going to give their whole heart to God. They were going to be fully devoted to all that God had planned. And so in verses 25 through to verse 28, Joshua renews the covenant there in that sacred place of Shechem. They renew the covenant with God that day. And uh, Joshua puts in the statutes and the rules that they've agreed to. 
He writes these words in the book of the law of God. They set up a memorial stone as a reminder to them that they were saying, I am God's man. I am God's woman. We will magnify him. Oh, my friends, what does it look like for you and I to realize that every promise of God's word will come to pass, that we are in a covenant relationship with him, and that we are committed to his honor, to his glory in every area of our lives. You know, I said right at the very beginning of this message that Abraham had been called of God there at Shechem. And he'd entered into that covenant when the land was not theirs, but he was given a promise, a promise of God's word that the land would belong to the people of God. And here we have Joshua in that land owning that land, that inheritance as the people of God. And there, they're making their commitment. They're renewing their vow. You know, my friends, one of the sacred places for me is that time that you would set apart every day to spend time with God. You know, David McIntyre used to uh, right, uh, he succeeded Andrew Boner in the church at Finiston in Glasgow, and uh, he used to uh, write about the the quiet place and the quiet hour and the quiet heart, where you're alone with God, where you take time to worship and adore Him for who He is, where you take time to appreciate that He is sovereign and that this relationship that you're in with him is as a result of his faithfulness to you. And you shut out everything that surrounds you. And you're in his presence, you and God. And you're making that wholehearted commitment to be his. You know, many people would do this early in the day because it's a wonderful opportunity just to say right at the start of the day, I am yours, Lord. I know that every promise of your word will come true. And here I am in my Shechem. Here I am renewing my covenant with you, a covenant that's only possible because of who you are. And I'm committing who I am and what I do today and what I say today and every place that you will find me today, I'm committing all that to you. For I want to serve you in sincerity and in faithfulness. This is an incredible point in the journey of Joshua and the people of God. And my friends, the remaining verses are verses that we could easily skip over, we might think verses 29 through to 33. Rhett Dodson, in his very helpful book on Joshua, talks about three graves at the end of Joshua. And it almost seems like a strange way 
to close out an incredible book, to focus on the grave of Joshua, to focus on the grave of Joseph, and to focus on the grave of Eleazar. You know, but my friend, one of the hardest things to achieve in life is a good ending. The Puritan fathers used to talk about dying a good death. One of the hardest things to do is to finish life well. Joshua and Joseph and Eliza, a leader, a deliverer, a savior, and a priest. Three graves at the end of Joshua chapter 24. It's difficult to finish well. How many times do we hear family talking about elderly relatives? Suddenly for me, I realize that I'm becoming one of the older ones. But how many times do we uh, hear them uh, talking about how so-and-so is becoming a grumpy old man or she's just a grumpy old woman? And how many times is it true that the older we get, rather than encouraging and inspiring, we in actual fact can become bitter and twisted and we can become grumpy? To finish well, a leader, a savior, and a priest, all buried in the land of promise. Even their very burial, a sign that every promise of God has come true, that the word of God would not fail. How good it would be if all of us, as Joshua did, could serve the Lord in sincerity and in faithfulness. And as we approached, if God should spare us, our 110th birthday, it was that for Joshua, that we can say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But we'll do that the way God wants us to. We'll do that well. And we'll do that well right up to the end. Well, my friends, don't miss the significance of the three roles. A leader, a savior, and a priest. We know what happens with the people of Israel and the outworking of the Old Testament. We know that they and all of the Gentile world would stand in need of a leader, of a savior, and of a deliverer. And we know because we live this side of the incarnation, and we live this side of Calvary's cross. And over these next few weeks, we're going to be moving into the celebration of Easter, and we're going to be saying, Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And we're excited about all that we're going to celebrate over Easter. My friends, Joshua 24 leaves us hanging, looking for King Jesus. 
perfect leader, perfect saviour, and perfect high priest, the one who is able to take you and I, the one who is the Word himself, into all the promises of God in Christ, and the one who is able to give us an eternal inheritance in himself. Oh, my friends, there is reason itself for living every day on this earth for the glory of God and serving him with sincerity and faithfulness, knowing that as we die old men, rejoicing in the goodness of God, proclaiming the message of the good news of God, living for the glory of God, praising rather than grumping. As we do that, old men or women, this is not an exclusive message, my friends. As we come towards the end, may we do so knowing that our inheritance is guaranteed through Jesus Christ, our leader, saviour, and great high priest. Let's pray together. Our gracious Father, we have had a full and rich passage in your word this morning. We thank you for the rich imagery it contains, for the great truths it unfolds and unpacks for us. And we pray that you would help us this day, a day that you set aside, that your people might come to worship and honor and glorify you. Would you enable us this day to spend time reflecting on all that you've spoken into our hearts and lives? And would you enable us to serve you with sincerity and faithfulness all the days of our life? In Jesus' name, amen.